0: what's up buffalonians it's your boy nick english if you want the facts the stats and all the sports info in the 716 you have come to the right place this is english encore buffalo's favorite sports channel i'm your host nick english i greatly appreciate everyone who's been tuning in for these podcast episodes as well as my live sessions i am still looking to get one line up for early next week i have one scheduled for tuesday night but i have to wait for a confirmation on sunday and monday night um just to be sure so i won't be posting anything until sunday or monday once i get that confirmation so stay tuned for that you can follow me on instagram at english encore podcast for all those details and you can also check out my last post um from on wednesday where i posted all the details you need to know for my merchandise that I'm going to be starting. You can pre-order starting this Wednesday, the 9th, and then the actual orders you can start ordering is the 16th, the following Wednesday. So go ahead and give my page a follow and check out my shirts that I'm doing. Um, as I detail, if you want to go back and look at previous episodes for this podcast, you can click on the Spotify channel in link in my description on that page. Go back to Wednesday to talk about my 53 man Bill's roster prediction how the Blue Jays have been selling, excelling playing in Buffalo, and then as well as my ideal Sabres offseason dream scenario. Today I'm going to be going through which teams won and lost at the MLB trade deadline. The craziness that's going on in the NHL is I'm going to be discussing three Game 7s to see who's going to be going to the East and Western Conference Finals. And then finally, the big news coming out of Brooklyn yesterday. Steve Nash hired as the head coach for the Brooklyn Nets. I'm going to be going through that move a little bit as well as filling in all the other coaching vacancies and who I feel would properly um, replace the people that were fired this off season. So starting off with the MLB, going through the winners and losers, I'm mean, starting off with the losers of the trade deadline. Starting off first, the New York Yankees. The New York Yankees didn't do anything at the trade deadline. They're a team that's been plagued by injuries all years. They've spent so much money. On all these top guys, John Carlos Stanton, you know Luis Severino, Paxton, and then they have Torres and Judge, both hurt. And then some of their guys that they paid a lot of money or have a lot of faith in between Aroldis Chapman and Gary Sanchez have just been terrible. Chapman's been absolutely garbage out of the bullpen the past two weeks, if not this whole entire season. Um, he's been one of the most overrated players in the MLB for a few seasons now. Gary Sanchez has not been hitting the ball. That Kraken nickname is quickly going away. The only consistent players right now on the Yankees to me have been LeMayhew and Clint Frazier, as well as Luke Voigt. Gino Rochelle has kind of been struggling at the plate as well, but they didn't do anything to get themselves in a prime position to make a playoff run. A team that was favored by many to win the World Series at the start of the year with all the talent they had. Just got taken over yesterday by the Toronto Blue Jays for that second spot in AL East, which I talked about Toronto's been playing some great baseball. Second team that was losing the trade deadline was the Milwaukee Brewers. They didn't make any major move besides trading away the relief pitcher David Phelps to the Phillies, which to me really made no sense because the Phillies is the team that you're fighting with for that final playoff spot, the team that you're pretty much chasing And you're trading one of your better reliable relief pitchers to that team just didn't really make much sense outside of you know Christian Yelich their batting has been very bad all year so to me they're a loser at the trade deadline and then finally my third team that lost is the Atlanta Braves the Atlanta Braves have so much talent on their roster but their pitching has just been absolutely awful all year outside of you know freed pitching Um, he's been their only consistent pitcher. So to me, I thought they were going to go out and, you know, snag a starting pitcher or two considering this is a team that really hasn't made it far in the playoffs in a number of years. Um, You know, like I said, they have so much talent on that roster that that's a team that should be competing for a World Series every year. I know they're dealing with some injuries. They're pitching staff like Cole Hamels, but um, to me, they didn't do anything at the trade deadline to really make themselves contenders this year. And then my winners for the trade deadline, as far as the MLB goes, starting off in third, the Marlins. um, They did a great job adding Starling Marte to an outfield that really has been struggling to produce at the plate all year and just defensively hasn't been as good of late. So Starling Marte easily adds to that. Um, Diamondbacks are pretty much willing to give him away. And many people were very confused by the move of trading away Jonathan Villar to the Blue Jays. However, that move really didn't matter after they found out Um, that Izan Diaz is coming back after originally opting out because of COVID. So with him coming back, um, it really wasn't a bad move for them. But the Marlins haven't made the playoffs since, believe, 2003. So um, really good for them right now. They're in a good position and going out adding a guy like Marte. Their pitching's been pretty consistent all year. Um, I think that they're in a good spot as well. The Reds, I thought, did a great job at the deadline as well. They added a much-needed reliever in Archie Bradley. They also added a reliable outfielder, and who's a little bit underrated in my opinion, and Brian Goodwin. Um, they're a team that's very interesting, just because if they get into a shortened playoff, the combination of their starting pitching between Luis Castillo, Sonny Gray, and Trevor Bauer on the mound, I don't think many teams are going to want to face them in a playoff series. So to me, they're a very um, you know dark horse team, and I think they added a few players on the DL, kind of on a down low. Um, at the deadline that I don't think people really noticed, but I think it really helped them overall. And then number one, the Padres, to me, they swung for the fences and they hit on a lot of great deals. They desperately needed catching, and they went out and got Austin Nola as well as Jason Castro. They added a much-needed veteran-designated hitter and Mitch Moreland, um, who I think is going to bring some instant offense to that lineup for them to go along you know, with Manny Machado. And then they went out and addressed their pitching. They added four pitchers. Including Mike Clevenger, a great starting pitcher, and Trevin Rosenthal, who's a great relief pitcher, setup man. You could even use him in the closing spots if you absolutely needed him to. And I think the Padres, I think this year, the way they're looking at their team, the money that they've spent between, you know, Machado and you know the upcoming rising of a star in Tatis, um, I think they're pretty much going for it this year. And I think they made all the necessary moves at the deadline to really make a deep run. It's gonna be really interesting to see how they do. But those are my winners and losers from the MLB trade deadline. Um, Moving on to the NHL. Really great storylines right now, as I mentioned at the beginning. We have three Game 7s to determine who's going to be going to the East and Western Conference Finals. You look at the Tampa Bay Lightning. They bruised past the Boston Bruins and knocked them out. So Tampa's really been the only team. And they're getting well-rested because the rest of these series in the playoffs right now have just been outstanding. So starting with the Avalanche and Stars, the Dallas took an incredible 3-1 lead. Um, Philip Grubauer went down with an injury. He has really been solid all year for Colorado, someone who I thought really should have been in the Vezina conversation. Um, everyone kind of thought that once he went down that they were kind of screwed in that series. Dallas has been playing some great hockey um, in their previous series against Calgary. And then, you know, they bring in Pavel Francones. And he gets hurt too, so then they're going down to their third goalie in Michael Hutchinson, former goaltender for Toronto, and he's been outstanding for them since they came in. So after Dallas went off to a storming 3-1 lead, the Abs will come all the way back to force a Game 7. And a big reason for that has to be looked at Dallas's head coach making the decision to start Ben Bishop over Anton Gudobin in one of their games to seal the deal Ben Bishop's a guy that's been injury-prone his whole career. They bring him in, and he was absolutely terrible. He allowed four or five goals on minimal amount of shots, and by the time Gudobin got in, they didn't have a chance. Um, Gudobin's been great all playoffs, and I really didn't see why, other than maybe playing back-to-back on certain nights. But a goaltender at this point, I think you have to ride the hot hand, and it's been Gudobin for them. And I assume he's going to play tonight, but we really don't know. Um, then you look at the Philadelphia Flyers and the New York Islanders Islanders. Same thing. They're up three to one And what's interesting about all these series is when one of these teams are all going to be up three to one and, and potentially be blowing it um, Tonight or tomorrow. So last night Philadelphia wins in double overtime um, Against the Islanders to even the series and force a game seven Carter Hart has been stealing the show for Philadelphia Um their veteran guys, especially the last two games between James Van Riemsley, like Claude Giroux, Vorchek, all those guys have stepped up immensely for that team. Um, my big thing is going to be if Barry Trotz can make the proper adjustments. The Islanders by no means have played terrible. Um, you know They outshot and outplayed Philadelphia for pretty much the entire game. Uh, but at the end of the day, Philadelphia worked harder and got the goals. There's been some little bit of goaltender controversy between playing Thomas Grice or Semyon Varlamov. Varlamov, to me, has been the better goalie, and I would expect him to go um, tomorrow when they play Game 7. But um, Barry Trotts adjustments are going to probably be the keyest here. I think Barry Trotz is one of, if not the best coach in the NHL for the team he has. Um, so I'm interested to see what he does tomorrow. And then last night, you know, Vancouver, what a story there are. They're down 3-1 to one to the number one seed Vegas Golden Knights. You know, Robin Leonard's looking like a Conn Smythe winner. They look like they're going to walk into the Stanley Cup potentially. But the past few games, they just haven't had it. They've out or they're getting outplayed by, you know, Thatcher Demko. You know, they put in Jacob. They had Jacob Marstrom early in the series. But, you know, with some injuries and other things going on, they turned to Demko in the past two games, games five and six in elimination games. He recorded one shutout and then one goal allowed. He's had 90 saves on 91 shots. He's just been, been peppered by the Vegas Golden Knights and shots. But um, they've held strong. You know, the young core with Elias Petterson, Quinn Hughes, some veteran presence between Tyler Myers, Brock Besser, all those guys. Tyler Toffoli um, really holding their own with Vegas despite getting outshot in a lot of these games to be very interesting. And the biggest question mark is going to be tonight If they go right back to Robin Leonard on a back-to-back, or they go to Marc-Andre Fleury, there's been some controversy there with Marc-Andre Fleury's agent saying that Vegas backstabbed him, but Leonard's really had the hot hand. It's been playing tremendous this entire playoffs. It's instrumental of why they're at where they're at, Um, one game away from being in the Western Conference Finals. But at the same token, um, Marc-Andre Fleury has never lost a game in regulation to the Vancouver Canucks, and he won his only start earlier in the series when they decided to play Flurry on a back-to-back. And something's telling me that they're going to lean to Flurry tonight. They haven't made an official announcement as of the time I'm recording this right now, you know, on this Friday afternoon at 2.42 p.m. currently. Um, They haven't made that announcement yet, so by the time maybe I post this, they'll have made that announcement. But just really crazy that three separate teams up 3-1 to are going to be going to Game 7s now after other teams have won two straight, but you know, as a hockey fan and just fan in general of sports, you know, game sevens, the two words you love to hear most, um, especially in hockey or in, you know, baseball, basketball, same thing. Um, so really interesting with that. And then finally, the big news coming out of Brooklyn yesterday, an unexpected hire and Steve Nash becoming the next head coach for the Brooklyn Nets. Um, kind of caught everybody off guard. Um, my first initial thought was, you know, it was going to be a, a weird hire, but after, you know, really doing my research and digging into it, I think it's going to be um, a tremendous hire for them. Also because they're keeping on Vaughn as the assistant coach. He's going to be one of the highest paid assistant coaches in the league, according to Adrian Wojnarowski. And, you know, Vaughn's a guy that really got the most out of a team that didn't have Kyrie, didn't have KD, a lot of injuries throughout the season and in the playoffs, but still fought and scrapped hard. Um, throughout against the Raptors in games they really could have won had they gotten some things to go their way down the stretch. But a fully healthy team, you know, Steve Nash has been a guy, one of the smartest basketball players you'll ever have seen. Um, been around a lot of great head coaches, including Steve Kerr with his time with the Golden State Warriors, um, which is where he developed a big relationship with Kevin Durant, which is one of the main reasons he definitely was hired. Anyone that thinks Kyrie and KD didn't have anything to do with this hire, um, you're just mistaken and you're kidding yourself um, those guys definitely have the power in that organization to kind of dictate and control who they potentially could and couldn't have as a head coach but I think Steve Nash is definitely going to stop and do a good job just with the superstar players they have the upcoming players with Jared Allen Karis Levert um, all those young guys I think really are willing to play hard for a guy like Steve Nash I think Steve Nash is gonna be able to maximize you know Kyrie Irving's talents. The way that he works out and the way he worked out when he was in the NBA, I think is going to be instrumental in how far Kyrie can really help carry this team along with Kevin Durant. As I already mentioned, Kevin Durant and Steve Nash already have a long-withstanding relationship over the past three to four years now um, since he was on the Warriors. And I think it's going to be a great hire. I do think that Vaughn Stang definitely helps the team overall because it seems like the players did like him a lot compared to Kenny Atkinson. But looking at some of the other openings right now with the NBA going on, there's only a few other teams that have filter coach spot. The New York Knicks decided to go Tom Thibodeau, um, really defensive-minded coach. I don't want to get too deep into that. I really want to look at the four other openings right now. Um, the Rockets are going to be an interesting team to talk about because there's been a lot of speculation that um, if the Rockets don't go far or, you know, even if they do lose the series, getting the second round, losing to LeBron James and the Lakers, that Mike D'Antoni could be fired after underachieving for so long with you know James Harden, Chris Paul, James Harden, Westbrook this year, whatever you want to make of it. Um, you can even go back to when they had Dwight Howard. Um, so we'll see what they do here. Uh, but looking at the four openings, I'm going to be starting off with the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, with all of these openings, I'm just going to kind of go through the key players, some of their free agents, and the best coaching fit. So obviously with the 76ers, their best players are Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, with guys like Josh Richardson and Tobias Harris playing key roles for them as well. Um, the only free agent that I think could be beneficial for them to bring back is Alec Burks. instant offensive guy off the bench for them. And to me, the perfect fit for this coaching job is Tyron Lue, the assistant coach for the Los Angeles Clippers. And the big reason I say that is because he had great success on the Cleveland Cavaliers, won an NBA championship as a coach, has profound respect throughout the league, and if there's anyone that can handle, you know, top-tier NBA player personalities and how to get the best out of those players, I think it's Tyron Lue. You look at what he did in Cleveland. He was with LeBron James, Kevin, Dur- or, excuse me, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Love. Not to mention other personalities like J.R. Smith, Iman Shumpert, Matthew Delvadova, all these different types of players that he had to kind of work around. You know, Kyrie and LeBron didn't always have the greatest relationship. There's a little bit of divaness there with Kyrie. And to me, you've seen that with 76ers, whether it's the rumors that Embiid and Simmons can't coexist. They just overpaid Tobias Harris. You know, Al Horford comes in, supposed to be this guy this year. You know, isn't that guy Josh Richardson? You know, is a very young, up and coming player. Um, and I think Tyron Lue would be able to get the most out of this team that many think that should be in the Eastern Conference Finals every single year with the superstar talent they have and duo in Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Um, looking at the New Orleans Pelicans, they let go of Elvin Gentry after just a few short years. Their key players, Lonzo Ball, Drew Holiday, Zion Williamson, free agents Derek Favors, and then obviously Brandon Ingram, who I think they're going to give a max extension. He's a restricted free agent. Coming off a year in which he was voted the most improved player, um, really great fit into that system. I think Lonzo, him, and Zion fit really well together. Drew Holiday is a good defensive anchor that plays really well off of Lonzo. I think they do need to add some more guys in the front court. I don't know if Derek Fabers necessarily fits that. Jackson Hayes was solid for them as a rookie all year. I think they could go with free agency and try to find another big man. Um, A guy like Montrezl Harrell's name comes to mind when I think about that. But I think the best fit would actually be former Brooklyn coach Kenny Atkinson. When I look at what he was able to do with a young Brooklyn team just a few seasons ago when they had D'Angelo Russell, Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, Allen as a rookie, all these young guys that they didn't think the Nets could even make a run at all or even be in the playoffs, carried them all the way to the playoffs and actually made a very good series of it against the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, I think he's a guy that could step in, you know, work with these young guys and get the most out of them compared to Alvin Gentry. I think Atkinson is a very good offense and defensive-minded coach, and I think he'd just step in and do a really great job. Um, looking at the Chicago Bulls, key players for them, you got Zach Levine, Lori Markkanen, Wendell Carter, and Kobe White, who they drafted last year. Some key free agents, if they want to bring back Otto Porter Jr. or Chris Dunn, um, both guys, to me, I think they've let go. Um, the best coaching fit, to me, is actually not even a former head coach. It's Wes Unsell Jr., the Nuggets current assistant. Um, son of former you know, Hall of Fame great Wes Unsell. Um, to me, I think it's a good fit because he's a great defensive coach. You've seen that with the Nuggets overall, and that's something the Bulls have very much you know, not had over the past few years. They could score the ball a ton with the players that they had but could not play great defense. Um, he's been instrumental with the Nuggets defense has been like the past few years. He's a great communicator and relationship builder, which is exactly what the Bulls need. You already saw what the relationship between Boylan and Markin and Levine, all those guys, was never great at all. And he's also just been around the NBA. He's been through different organizations. He was with the Wizards. He was with the Magic. Um, He's been around the Nuggets now as an assistant coach. And he was also, even though he's been a defensive coach for the Nuggets, he was a part of the Washington Wizards where they had three straight years in the top ten as far as scoring goes, and offensive numbers go, so he's a guy that I think can do both things. And because he's been around the Nuggets and he's been around NBA locker rooms because of his, you know, dad and everything, I think Chicago won't really phase him because you know it's obviously a strong market. Um, and then finally, the Pacers. This is a job that's really intriguing to me, and I think the coaching candidate is, to me, that I'm going to say is going to be someone that a lot of people don't agree with, but I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. Um, Their key players, Victor Oladipo, Malcolm Brogdon, TJ Warren, and then Sabonis-Miles Turner combination. Free agents, Jakar Sampson, Justin Holliday, both guys that gave strong minutes off the bench in their first-round series against the Miami Heat. Um, I'm a big Nate McMillan fan, and I didn't really think he deserved to be fired, but I understand why they did it. Um, They just need to get more out of that team, and I think they need to get more out of Sabonis and Miles Turner as their years continue to progress. And I think Victor Oladipo, if he can return to all-star form, that's going to be a very scary team in the Eastern Conference. The best coaching fit to me is Becky Hammond. I want her to be the first NBA women's head coach in this league. And I think the Pacers are the perfect fit for her. Um, it's not going to be a super high-tier market. It's not the league low. Um, it's right in the middle. It's be a perfect fit for her. She's been rumored to um, want to take the Philadelphia 76ers' job you know she's definitely not afraid of any challenge but the reason indiana fits for me is you just look at you know her credentials an assistant under greg popovich 2014 so you know she can coach she has the respect of the players it's going to be more of whether or not the players are willing to buy in but if she's been coached by greg popovich great player in her own right she's a very young coach only 43 years old you know She's also been rumored if she does take a head coaching job, she'd bring on Pau Gasol as an assistant, which I think would be great, especially in Indiana, because Pau Gasol could really work with guys like Sabonis and Miles Turner to become their full potential. But the reason the Pacers fit to me is look at their history of women in their organization. They had the first women assistant NBA general manager and former Indiana Fever GM, um, Kelly Kostropoff probably butchered that name but you get the point in 2018 and um, Nancy Leonard in 1977 was the first woman in an NBA front office role and that was with the Indiana Pacers So they're definitely not an organization that is willing to try new things or get women involved so to me this is the perfect opportunity I think Becky Hammond is gonna be a phenomenal NBA coach with whatever team gives her a chance and with the young core that they have with Brogdon, Oladipo, and Warren and you know that with working on her great pop that she's gonna be able to bring in some other great assistants like Pau Gasol or even other players or excuse me other coaches that are you know assistants other places to come in and help her um, I think she can really be a great and you know successful coach in the NBA and I think it's about time she gets her opportunities like I said she's been under pop since 2014 And I think she's just eager at a chance to get it. And I hope, you know, Indiana or wherever else she's going to get it um, will be great. And that's going to do it for today's episode, everyone. Like I said, if you want to give me a follow on Instagram at English Encore Podcast, you can check out my merchandise, all the info on that. Stay tuned for a potential live session on Monday or Tuesday. Like I said, just waiting for a confirmation on that. I'll be back on Monday with some more Bills and Sabres talk. Get back to my normal schedule. This has been an English Encore podcast, Buffalo's favorite sports channel. Stay safe, everyone. <laughs>